Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 9. The Midnight Jewel. Harry had never believed he would meet a boy he hated more than Dudley, but that was before he met Draco Malfoy. Still, first-year Gryffindors only had potions with the Slytherins, so they didn't have to put up with Malfoy much. I'm Casper Turkile. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm back on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. <laughs> so, Casper, we are so happy to have you back. Every time I compliment you in your absence, Matt takes it as an insult. So I've stopped complimenting you in your absence. So let me just compliment you to your face. You're so handsome. Is it the mustache? It's the mustache. <laughs> Why are you insulting me? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've got a story on our theme of meanness. I, it will not surprise you, quite like attention. Turns out I'm a really big extrovert. And as some of my work became more public, like hosting a podcast, for example, I was always very excited when an article would be written about us. I'd be like, yes. <laughs> um, so a couple of years ago, there was an article written about my work. And as ever, you know, when you're the story or the stories about your work, you don't have control in how it's written or the tone of the piece or like what angle the journalist is taking. And although there were some things that were accurate in the piece, the general vibe that you would leave with reading it was so far away from who I know myself to be and who I'm told I am by people who know me. I felt misrepresented 
But the worst part was seeing conversations about the article on social media where people were making judgments about me based on the article. And it felt super mean. Like I was yet unskillful. And so I was reading the comments (laughs) and it felt so uncomfortable. And I felt so frustrated and angry at myself and, and kind of like, I don't know, it just felt, it felt really, really unpleasant. But at the same time, I couldn't blame these people who I thought were being mean. Because if I had only read the article about who this person was, I would be like, this is totally awful and we should not have this kind of thing. And so I felt like this weird situation where the impact of what people were saying on to me felt mean. But I think the way in which people were saying it probably was a valid critique. And so I'm interested to find the line between like, I guess, intention and impact when we use a term like meanness. Because there are times when people are straight up trying to be hurtful. And that's, I think, easier to to diagnose maybe or to identify. But what about the times when it feels like hurtful? It feels like someone is being mean-spirited, but actually the critique is valid. And that's what I want to talk about today. Casper, I think that's a really useful and important distinction though, right? Because I think that one of the things that characterizes meanness is that it's petty, that it's unjustified. Like if you're angry or even like bare active animosity towards someone who is causing you harm or who is causing others you care about harm or causing the world world harm, that doesn't feel mean. That feels like something else. And, you know, we can talk about that. It's like, like, I think the situation you're describing here is folks who don't know you, haven't read your work, only read somebody else's assessment, like misplaced and poorly framed assessment of your work, then come back at you personally about it, right? There's no good reason for that. And that that seems like a really important distinction. And I think the one you're pointing to when you talk about the, the distinction between intent and impact. Yeah. And I think to some extent, even if you haven't had an article written about you, if there's like secondhand information that's being passed on between people, you know how that feels where it's like, no, that's not how it was, or that's not who I am. But people are still going to have an impression of you and you can't necessarily change that. But it feels, yeah, petty is the right word because so often it's at that level where the word mean feels right because the stakes are so low, but it still feels painful. Like, I I don't want to ignore that piece of the puzzle where it's like, this really ruined my day and maybe the next day too. And it was a mixture of cuddles and Haagen-Dazs and and time and sad Broadway songs. (laughs) That is curative in most cases, though. (laughs) Well, Matt, you have the pleasure today of performing a 30-second recap, not just before me and Ariana, and not just before the vague idea of our audience, but in front of Casper Turkile himself. Known for losing the crown six books in a row, just to be clear. So, low stakes. I have the rare experience of coming in third. (laughs) On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so Harry doesn't like the Slytherins, but it's, so it's a good thing they don't see them much. But uh, they have to take flying lessons with them, and so they go out and take flying lessons. And Madame Hooch is there, and they and then Neville flies up into the air and falls off and breaks his arm. Oh, and you also got a remember all. I forgot because Malfoy steals a remember all once Madame Hooch goes away and very unwisely leaves these children all by themselves. And he goes up, and he and Harry follows him, and he, Hermione says, "Don't follow him," and they do, and he throws the ball, and and then the remember all, and then they come back, and there's a midnight duel, which is actually a duel, it's a trick, and there's a huge giant three-headed dog covering a trap door, and they figure out that something's being hidden that was excellent it felt like a roller coaster ride in linguistic form and (laughs) it was exciting casper do you want to go second or third i'm gonna go third okay great can you count me in love all right for all time's sake 30 seconds on the clock here we go three two one 
Go. So Neville gets a lovely gift delivered to him by his grand, and it's a remember all, and it helps you remember that you've forgotten something, but it doesn't help you remember what you forgot, which honestly feels mean. And then they have Quidditch practice, and turns out that Draco really can fly, but it turns out that Harry is going to be the greatest seeker in a hundred years. And Oliver Wood is very excited. And then Draco challenges him to a midnight duel, but he just tells Filch that Harry is going to be there out of bounds, and we have the four kids together, and I don't understand why Neville gets kicked out of the trio. He's there from the beginning. That was a model of teamwork, Vanessa. I feel like our two 30 seconds recaps together, I'm starting to believe you now that this is a team event. See, Matt? I knew it. We're going to set a totally different tone than this Casper guy. (laughs) Okay, Casper, are you ready? Bring us home, baby. Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Okay. On your mark. Get set. Go. Hello, I'm very small Polyakov, and I am an exchange student and doing letters with Draco Malfoy. And he sent me a letter saying he has a very funny plan for tonight. He's going to trick little Harry Potter, who I don't know because I live in faraway land. But he's going to take him to a special room and then get him very in trouble. But it didn't work, and so I feel very bad for my friend Draco. And uh, maybe my, my Dormstrang days will be over soon, and I transfer to Hogwarts. I'm very excited. <laughs> Why wouldn't you be Crabber Goyle, who's like actually there? No, I think I think it's perfect as it is. It's just it's so <laughs> absurd. <laughs> yes, it's so absurd. I love it, Casper. You win the 30-second recap this week. It is once again a competition, and you win. I get special guest privilege to just do whatever I want. <laughs> I'd like to pick up on what we were talking about in your story, Casper, about like this distinction between like justified sort of bad feeling or unjustified bad feeling because the chapter begins with Harry saying there's never a person that he thought he could hate as much as he hated Dudley but he found that this was true with Draco and we can talk about hatred in another episode sometime but it'd be hard for me to imagine someone who feels hatred towards another person also being mean maybe to another person like I think mean meanness has this kind of pettiness I think I mean I guess your hatred could be petty but I guess when I'm thinking about hatred I'm thinking like a justified sort of animosity, a justified antagonism. Like Harry has these bad feelings towards Dudley and Draco because they have done bad things mm-hmm. to him or to people to people he cares about. Like he has reasons to be suspicious of them, to resent them, to be angry at them. And so his hatred toward them doesn't feel mean. It feels like, yeah, they've been bad people. So now he's he's angry or resentful or whatever towards them, right? But then Draco's feeling toward Hagrid or Harry or the Weasleys has no good cause because if you look at the way pure bloods feel about mm. anyone who's not pure blood there is no good reason and that that's still hatred right so i just talked myself <laughs> out of my point but maybe it's a good place for us to start talking i think that the place to start is with draco's feelings towards neville because neville's also a pure blood and he's so mean to neville like he's so mean to neville about this remember all and he he tries to steal it immediately they're not even at the same table in the great hall and draco's like what is that and like tries to take it from him and mcgonagall has to intervene and then draco gets the second opportunity to steal it and we find out that neville gets the remember all like 30 seconds after we find out that draco gets these packages from home i wonder if some of this like petty meanness is about the specificity of the gift from his gran Mm. 
This this remember all is useless. It reminds you that you've forgotten something. And so if you are a forgetful person, it does not help. I am a forgetful person and I would find this to be a torture device, but it is well intended from someone who knows and loves her grandson. And I wonder if it's that comparison that gets Draco to be mean to Neville, that he's like, my mom just keeps sending me sweets. Like maybe it's actually a house elf who's sending these or like some sort of servant. Like you don't have to know Draco well to send chocolate. I just wonder if it's jealousy and that's why he's so mean. And it feels like with Neville, Draco has to put Neville down to make himself feel up, right? It's that classic bully dynamic that we've talked about with Draco before. So like meanness is a power preservation tool for him. I think that's so important. And yeah, I think I want to change my definition about about meanness being unjustified. I think the rationale for it is that you can get away with it. Mm. Like he he targets Neville yeah. because he knows he can get away with it with Neville. With Harry, it's tricky. He sends Harry not to an actual duel, but to a trick duel so he can get in trouble. Like it's because he can get away with it. And it's also in your story, those commenters who never have to look you in the face or speak to you directly, or do the, like, the work of getting to know you and, and knowing your work, it's because they can get away with it that they have the opportunity to be mm. mean in that venue. And that really is something about what you just said, Casper, about shoring up one's own power mm. in like super lazy and easy and manipulative ways. And in that way, it absolutely does link to the kind of wizarding supremacy, pure blood supremacy. It's about what you can get away with, who you can be allowed to mistreat in order to, by contrast, build up a sense of your own power or authority or or specialness or whatever. This is why I love the moment with McGonagall and Harry so much, because Harry expects that McGonagall's going to be really mean to him, right? He's he's already thinking, mm. I'm going to get expelled. He's thinking, I'm going to get beaten with a piece of wood. Right. His mind goes immediately to what he knows happens at home. Like, it's it's actually really sad. But what happens instead is this glorious inversion of the the script of meanness in a way that actually it becomes a celebration. And we see McGonagall trying to bend rules to allow Harry to have, you know, as a first year to like be able to be in the Quidditch team, et cetera, et cetera. And so that I think this context of Neville and Draco makes that moment all the more fun and kind of like a breakthrough moment because it inverts that meanness landscape in a way. I'm wondering if you think people intervening in meanness helps the person who is being the victim. Like when McGonagall inserts herself into this initial moment between Draco and Neville, I wonder if that's, I mean, the word that I'm drawn to use is emasculating, but right, just like it feels gross to ha- have to have someone protect you, but it can also feel nice to be protected, right? And I think that that's one of the other things about feeling diminished is that you can feel diminished by meanness, but you can also feel diminished by things with really good intentions. And so I'm wondering what you think about that. If this McGonagall moment like helped Neville, I mean, it like got the remember all back. And I think that it was the right teacherly move because Draco needs to learn that he can't just get away with this. But Draco just does it again later as soon as the teacher's not looking. So Yeah, I'm just wondering your thoughts about interventions to meanness. That's a great question. I think it depends upon the quality of the intervention. And also, I think it can be both things. I think that you can feel both protected and also diminished by another's protection. You can feel grateful for it and also even resentful of it. I mean, I think anybody who's been a human has probably felt that at times, right? Like you don't want to feel like you need to be protected. But I'm really drawn to like the word that you wanted to use, which was 
emasculating like emasculation right like that the whole problem is a version of masculinity which which believes or which ordains that what it means to be male is to be strong without ever giving into weakness or vulnerability or needing the help and protection of others right and isn't that exactly the the ideology of Voldemort right like we are going to be invulnerable we are not good we are going to be strong enough to protect ourselves against all things and all others at the expense of all others and isn't the community that arises in resistance to him eventually especially among these children who are meeting in this first book one which is just going to say we cannot do this on our own we are going to be weak at times we're going to need to protect each other at times even the chosen one harry cannot do this on his own he's going to need neville to cut off nagini's head right like it's it's going to be about giving the lie to this idea of strength or power as necessarily and ever and always uncompromised right as the only way to safely or really be in the world and I think that interventions can feel that way, but if they feel that way, I think what maybe what this chapter and what Neville's character and what the books maybe calls to do is to like interrogate those feelings. Why do I feel bad when someone protects me? Like it's okay to feel I need protection from other people because I am not all powerful, <laughs> right? And that also can give me courage to protect others and and also to to understand if they feel resentful when I do, right? It, yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. So let's talk for a minute about, I think, the like most obviously mean thing in this chapter, which is Draco not showing up for the duel and tattling on Harry instead. Because the way that I read this, and I'm wondering if you two agree, is that Draco's, like, masculinity is like, let's duel. And only later is he like, oh, 
I don't want to duel. Like, this is going to go badly. And so to save face does this thing that I think of is like, so weak of like tattling as a kid tattling broke the code of like cool it was just like the weakest sniveliest thing of like oh do you have to tell mom and that is what draco does here and so i'm wondering what you make of this arc and how you read it because it seems not only mean but weak and like somehow pathetic i like the idea that (laughs) draco like says that dueling challenge and then realizes he doesn't know any spells that would be good. (laughs) So I'm captivated by that idea that it's a saving face mechanism. I mean, there's something that feels very petty about this particular challenge because I think Draco dislikes the things in Harry that he knows he has himself. I mean, this is one of the great learnings, at least of my adulthood, is that like the things that we hate about ourselves is other things that we hate in other people's so often, or at least that's me. But just that sense of like, Harry has special treatment, you know, different rules applied to him. He has influence over others. He's special, he's different, he's chosen in some way. And those are all the things that Traco has gotten used to. And now here's someone else who's getting exactly that stuff. And I think that just over eggs his pudding. And so in a different situation, you could have just let Harry and any friends go out on a night adventure and be safe asleep in your own bed being like, ha ha, you know, they've wasted the time. They're not getting good. They're not getting good sleep tonight. But he's added this extra threat of having them be caught. That makes it really mean rather than just like a failed plan. Over eggs his pudding is the sort of colorful idiom that we only get when Casper <laughs> joins the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I like this reading. I don't know if it's that it's my reading. I think that I don't see this moment as a mean moment. Actually, I think the meanest thing that happens in the chapter is when Draco takes the remember all after. I mean, Neville just broke his arm falling off a broom and is taken away, and like this gift, which is a thing from his grand, and especially Draco knows the history of this family. Like, Draco knows what happened to Neville's parents and, like, how Mm -hmm. important the connection between him and his grand is. And, like, to take the remember all and toss it. Like, to me, that's the meanest thing. I mean, I don't like Draco, obviously. I like this move. I think it's deliberate. I think it's clever. I think that he knows that Harry and and Ron have been itching for a fight since the train. And this is like, oh, I'm going to use that against them. In the moment when he challenges him to a duel, you think he's like, I'm not going to show up. I'm going to tell Felch. The way I interpreted it was like, he goes up there with that plan. He's like, oh, oh, this is this is their weakness. I see now this is their weakness. They are over eager to get into it with me. And so I am going to use that against them. And by the way, also use pow- like the structural institutions of power to my benefit in the way that I, as a Malfoy, always do to exert that power and to cause that harm to others. Like, to me, it's like, he sees his father do this to other people every day, like, using their weaknesses against them. He goes in, I think, he goes in with a plan. And, like, he told Crab and Goyle beforehand, Look, listen to what we're going to do. We are going to get them in trouble with Filch tonight, maybe even get them expelled. And Draco even gets more than he wanted, right? Because Neville and Hermione might get expelled with them. So it's just like, yes, I got them all. Is Hermione mean in this chapter by being like, don't go. And if we get caught, I love when she's like, I'll tell on you and you'll back me up. (laughs) It's so funny. But (laughs) she's not motivated by meanness. But it's not nice that she's like willing to 
tattle on them or is like telling them like I'll sell you up the river in five seconds flat. Well, I think this is the the core tension with Hermione throughout so much of the books is that the way she sees herself is as that authority figure. So she's taking steps that make sense if you're a teacher, but the others are looking at her and being like, no, you're 11. <laughs> like, you're supposed to be one of us. Like, don't play by those rules. And and I think that's what causes the that constant frustration with her. And, you know, we've talked about this when, when we did the read-through of, like, seeing her become more at ease with rule-breaking is part of what makes her really part of the trio. And I, I wonder if, like... Neville's unwillingness to do that or his willingness to do it later delays him really being at the center of the the core group, at least in the, the way that the story is told from the perspective of Harry. Yeah, it's so remarkable to me that this is their first adventure and Neville is out there with them. Yeah. I know. I do want to make sure that we mention maybe the most important part of the whole chapter and frankly the whole book, which is the introduction of... <gasps> Oliver Wood. Oliver is introduced to us as the captain of the Quidditch team for Gryffindor. And, you know, he has this great relationship with McGonagall. And she introduces Harry in a way that I could stretch this and make it about meanness in the sense that, like, it's it's very, you know, what we criticize Dumbledore for of, like, using Harry as a weapon or using him as a pawn in his plan. McGonagall's doing very much the same thing here in her priority, which is, like, you know, Gryffindor's glory. And she's like... He's the perfect seeker. You know, they describe him as having, like, the perfect build, and they're immediately comparing him to Charlie Weasley. Like, there's something very mechanical about this moment, which I hadn't read before. Like, previously, it's this victorious moment of Harry being celebrated, but now I was like, oh, you're just using him to win points in your pointless <laughs> pointless game. And I'm a big sports fan, so I say that with great respect. But it, there was there was something kind of sinister about the introduction to Oliver this time, which I, I hadn't seen before. Yeah, I think that Harry is getting reduced to this like piece of chattel in this moment in a lovely way, because I think like Hermione, we see in McGonagall, her capacity to break rules. And we're going to see that throughout the books as a virtue that she has. I think that she breaks rules really smartly and with a great deal of intention. And I love it. But the thing that I find so charming about this moment is the way that Wood totally trusts McGonagall's eye. I feel like the bond between like a teenage boy and a middle-aged woman talking about sports, I just find very endearing as a dynamic. It's a subversive little moment, right? That like we don't see in many books or films or anything, any cultural artifact, and is real. Like this is a real dynamic that is out in the world and it's lovely to see it represented in art. This is the thing about critical reading, too. It doesn't have to be only be us being critical of where the texts unearth things that are problematic in its assumptions. We can also see in like little examples like this how the text is also poking against assumptions or that, that the culture in which it moves has about the interests that middle-aged women have in sports or their, their ability to, to participate in sports. Because we know, evidentially, that middle-aged women are, do sports all the time, right? The other thing about this, though, is like, and I know this is granting your reading that Harry is used a little bit in this situation, but I think he kind of likes being used in this way because I feel like they also really saw him. Like, it is just true that he has this preternatural flying ability. It's something that's just in him. He doesn't know where it came from. And they saw it and recognized it as a gift rather than as a breaking of the rules, right? And by acknowledging that that is a gift that's in him and saying, oh, here's a gift we can use, it is utilitarian, but it's also seeing that gift in a way that 
that means something to him and that makes him not be reduced to just a student, but actually who can break rules, but understands him as a person who has gifts. And McGonagall like clinches it at the end when she's like, you reminded me of your father. That is a moment. It's not utilitarian. It's like she's writing a story for him that I think is really beautiful. It's time for our Havruta practice, and I have brought the question this week. I want to ask whether aggression is a virtue. I think the answer this chapter gives is that yes, aggression is a virtue. Because there there would be other ways to correct or to respond to what Malfoy does with a remember all at flying practice than for Harry to chase him, to do the more aggressive thing. But because he does that more aggressive thing, McGonagall discovers that he's this natural flyer and gets him on the Quidditch team as bends the rules so he can be a first-year seeker, right? You know, we talked about how Malfoy and Crabbe and Goyle, on my reading anyway, trick Harry and Ron, and by extension Hermione and Neville, into going up to the trophy room by manipulating their aggression. And it does lead to some kind of hairy episode in which they are at risk because of a three-headed giant dog and almost get caught by Filch. But only because they do this thing do they discover the trap door. And, you know, this is what gives them access later to the resolution of the book. This is how they discover the clues that they will need to actually save Hogwarts and save the school and defeat Voldemort again. And so even though it's difficult or complicated or whatever, it's only because these characters are so aggressive in the way they respond to others that the happy endings that we see come to be. So Vanessa and Casper, what do you think of these moments where Harry responds in a more aggressive fashion, like with options before him, like he chooses the kind of most aggressive response? Did he do the right thing? What would have happened if he had done other things? What do you think? This might reveal me as a naturally aggressive person, but what would his other options be with the remember all? I mean, he could tattle. I mean, I know you said that he couldn't tattle, but what would Hermione have done? Hermione would have not aggre- not chased. And maybe it's the wrong response. I mean, I think this is what the chapter is asking. Is the aggressive one the only really right one in this situation? I guess I wouldn't use the word aggressive. I'm someone who really believes in intervention, even sloppy intervention. Like that obviously comes from the fact that I was raised by Holocaust survivors, right? And like no one intervened, no one intervened. And that is why this thing got to happen. And I feel like that's often true. And so like big intervention seems, even when it's misdone, it certainly seems better than doing nothing to me. I don't think all of us can be aggressively intervening. Yeah, I. you're pointing out to me that, like, I'm pro, certainly, like, bold intervening steps. You only know in retrospect how bold you should have been, right? And in the, in the awful, awful examples, like, in cases of, like, generational historical evil, there's no action too bold in those cases. Of course, of course, right? But what about when somebody throws a remember all? Is that worth fighting about? I really do think that in those moments, I'm a big, like, let's walk away person, right? Like, I think that what has to happen is an assessment of the stakes. But I don't know if I disagree with Harry. I feel like the stakes are high for Neville. Neville just broke his arm 
and Draco is being really horrible. <laughs> so I don't know about in this situation. Casper, what do you think? Yeah, I like the reframing it to to be about direct action because I think so often direct action is also a critique of the existing structures that are supposed to be giving justice. And like Harry comes from a home where he knows that the people in power are not fair, right? Like they're not just. And so I think he comes into Hogwarts with a real skepticism. Well, Hermione may come from a home where like authority is more trustworthy. and, And so going to the teacher makes sense. I guess I feel like I can not only understand Harry's reaction here, but it I think it is defensible because ultimately we know the Hogwarts system to be deeply flawed in its just justice measures, shall we say. I don't think escalating every <laughs> conflict is good. In fact, nearly always it's it's not helpful. And we're deal we're dealing with a specific case in which is he even escalating here or is he like meeting the escalation that's already happened? This is why I asked the question, right? Because I'm a Christian pacifist, but my own kind of understanding of that is that my own kind of religious and moral commitments are to to try not to choose retaliatory violence as a response to violence. Whether that's possible in the world is a really complicated question, and maybe we'll get into that <laughs> in other in other podcast conversations. But what's interesting to me here is that maybe aggression was the wrong word. Is that Harry responds with the threat of physical violence in these cases. He chases him not to politely persuade him. He says, give me the remember all back. And they go to the trophy room, not so they can have a discussion about, right? And I think this this speaks to, I think one of the really important things for people like myself who do want to, whenever possible, and that's a big question because maybe it's not always possible, but whenever possible to choose against violence, like you have to have a really big imagination. What other possibilities are there? What else could we have done? Your original question, Vanessa, like what else is there to do? Is his escalation is the only response that's available to anybody that Draco will listen to one that mimics his own actions, which include the threat of violence, right? Now, I think Hermione's tattling doesn't, but is that effective? Maybe not. But I think if one is going to commit to trying to avoid meeting violence with violence, boy, it really takes a big imagination because that seems in so many cases like the only possible response. I love that invitation to imagination in part because what would definitely have to happen is a conversation with Neville, which would allow maybe for Harry and Neville to get closer. If Harry did any number of other things, like go say, go ahead, Draco, throw it. His gran is just going to send him another one. You're subverting more than the situation. You're subverting the entire power dynamic and potentially then going to Neville and be like, look, Draco did it, but I told him to because he was going to do it anyway. And I wanted to gain control of the situation and I'll help you save up for another remember all, right? Or whatever it is. I guess I don't want it to necessarily be an aggressive interruption. What I hate is doing nothing. And I think that that is a definition of pacifism that people mistake that like standing by and doing nothing is a form of pacifism. And I'm like, no, that's not creative. That's not interesting, which is why I moved away from the language of aggression. I just like do something, do something. Yeah. Right. Not every response is aggressive, but injustice demands response. Like you have to respond. And, and this is what I think, this is another way to think about boldness, right? Like we must respond boldly. Boldly in the sense that we have to be really clear what we're saying, really clear what we're doing, really clear why we're doing it, and really emphatic and dramatic in the way we respond. That doesn't mean that it has to include violence or the threat of violence, 
Right? Because you can imagine Hermione's would have been very bold and clear to Madame Hooch when she came back about what injustice had happened. And whether it's sufficient is a different question, but I think that that we could not interpret how Hermione might have reacted as inaction. I'm suddenly drawn to to look at Ron in this scene because I think Ron actually exhibits what we've said we don't want to see, which is that lack of anything. I think this is why Ron is such an important character in the books, because he seems to embody that sense of, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to do nothing until someone is leading me, and then I'll just join in with whatever that is. Like, there's a loyalty in that, but there's also a a cowardliness in it, honestly, that, you know, he overcomes. We see him overcome it, but it is absolutely at the core of his challenge throughout this narrative is that I think he's a bystander most of the time. I'm just very sad thinking about that because it's it's so hard to take action, whether it's, you know, meeting the aggression with more aggression or whether it's something about, like, going to the rules or, or going to a company... Neville, you know, I could see Ron bullying Neville in a different situation. You know what I mean? And so I'm pointing to Ron because I I think that's in all of us, or at least in me. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much for bringing this really interesting question. I really love this call for imagination as intervention rather than, I think aggression is such like a natural response, right? Like it's the biological nature (laughs) response. And instead of saying like, okay, no, what's the creative thing? I think it's just like such an, a beautiful reframe or a, attempt to like slightly reorient ourselves in these difficult moments. Yeah, and also like, how do we redirect our imagination towards caring for those who are at risk rather than, you know, punishing those who have put them at risk, right? And like, and sometimes defending with aggression is part of care, but but really to focus one's attention on the one at risk, on the one that we can care for. To make that the center of our focus seems like it's an important an important thing. Right. What if instead of going after the remember all, Harry was like, do you know what? I want to go with Neville to the hospital wing. Right. right. Yeah. Hmm. I love that. Thank you, Matt. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's voicemail is from Brittany, and it is a really beautiful blessing for Vernon. But if you feel like a blessing for Vernon is something that you don't want to hear today, we just wanted to give you a heads up. And feel free to fast forward about three minutes, and you can join us for blessing those in our community who are lost due to COVID. Hello, Vanessa, Matt, Ariana, and the whole Sacred Text team. It is such a pleasure to send you a voicemail because you guys are a huge part of my daily life. I listen every night as I go to sleep. I've been over the series many times. As an ex-Christian, I can't thank you enough for providing this curious open space to explore loving better. I want to bless Vernon Dursley. I never saw this coming, but this week it clicked while listening to the Keeper of Keys, how much Vernon is like my dad. As a kid, my dad was abused verbally and sometimes even physically. Somehow he found a way to be a truly loving dad to four kids, never once raised a hand nor a detrimental slur to us kids. But in the past few years, I've seen my dad's lack of control turn him into something scary. He is a conservative Republican, Christian, white, cis male, and he's angry. And recently, he's lost all that makes up his identity, his farm, his wife, his closeness to his kids and grandkids. So he's decided to buy property in the middle of a desolate wasteland with a rickety house on it. He's giving up anything that seems healthy, like playing guitar and Something that defines our family is how we all play music together, musical instruments, and sing. He's done with that. He seems to plan to live out his days alone and angry, angry that the world has turned on him. Doesn't that sound like someone we know? So, a blessing for Vernon. Perhaps you were raised to hit, to intimidate, to take all you can because this world won't leave enough for you. If only someone had raised you to be soft and gentle to be curious, and to laugh at yourself. How different would Harry's life have been? How much better would Dudley's life have been? And Petunia, the ripples are infinite, right? Let us raise our boys to be loving, gentle, curious, and to know not only that they cannot control the world and that they don't have to. Thank you for all you do, you guys. Thank you, Brittany, for your voice memo. I'm really sorry for for the struggles you're having with your family and for the the transformation that you've seen overcome your dad. And I can't imagine how how hard that must be to see someone you love so much and who you want to bring closer isolate himself from from you and from your other loved ones. I hope that you can keep hope that all the other parts of your dad, the parts of your dad that did make him such a good father, such a kind and loving person to you for so many years, that those are alive somewhere in your dad too. And that maybe he won't be isolated forever 
and maybe there will be an opportunity for him or for you to grow and live into those other happier and healthier parts of himself. That's beautiful, Matt. I'm also really struck by Brittany's note about the about not playing guitar anymore and about the absence of music and that that was a language within her family as, as much as I can tell. And it makes me think about how little music there is at Hogwarts and how how singing together and making music and drumming and, you know, how, how these are not just entertaining things, but they're, they're technologies that help us feel connected to each other and, and to part of something bigger than ourselves. At least for me, singing is when I kind of lose, lose the sense of the, the me in the midst of my life all the time. And it just melts into something bigger. And, um, at least I hope for you, Brittany, that music can, can stay a healing presence and, and a, a balm in the midst of, of this difficulty. Thank you so much for, for sending in your voicemail. I don't have anything to add other than thanks for sending in this really beautiful voicemail and say that regardless of what your father is going through, I'm, I'm very sure that he's lucky to have you. I want to take a moment to remember the names of loved ones from within our community who have died due to COVID. And so this week we remember Barbara Martin Cry, who was 92, an amazing and adventurous grandmother. Barbara Dreyfus, who was the eighth person who was confirmed as a, a person who died of COVID in the US. Dr. John Sutty, who was 86, a scientific pioneer, professor, and beloved grandfather. Leighton Hansen, who was 84, a grandpa of 14, and a tinkerer and mechanic. George Sepnat, who was 68, a high school caretaker, father, and veteran. Alma Kalma Fajardo, who was 68, a mother of three, and a traveler. May their memories be a blessing. Well, let us close with blessings as well. And Vanessa, I want to ask you to share your blessing for someone in this chapter. Yeah, I'm stealing this blessing either from past me or past Ariana or past Bridget. I don't know, but I've heard this blessing elsewhere, but like Parvati cannot get enough blessings for that, for what I'm about to describe. So Draco, like as soon as Madame Hooch takes Draco away for breaking his wrist and having had this very scary experience, Draco just like immediately starts mocking him. And Parvati says, shut up, Malfoy. And I just think being the first to stand up to a bully is the scariest. And she's an 11-year-old and she's just so brave and she's in the right house. I don't believe in that, but I just think she's so brave and awesome. She just does an intervention, right? Like it's not a perfect intervention. It is like, it doesn't solve anything great, except maybe it inspires other people to also stand up to Draco. Anyway, she just does something and I love it. And I love you, Parvati. You're the best. That's my blessing. Parvati, you're the best. I would like to bless Hagrid this week. And in particular, because there's this moment in the chapter where Harry thinks he's going to be expelled. And he's wondering if he can work out a deal with the Hogwarts administration to just live maybe with Hagrid on the campus and and maybe not have to go back to the Dursleys. And there's that moment when he reflects upon how hard it will be to see all his new friends grow up and be wizards while he's just kind of left there on the 
edge of the campus and uh it just you know brought into relief really dramatic relief like how hard it must have been for hagrid to have been ostracized like that and to have lived there and the fact that he ends up still such a kind and welcoming person in spite of all this is just a testimony to to his goodness and so i want to bless him i mean just to mark that goodness but also just to like call attention to how difficult his his childhood must have been as a expelled hogwarts student and how sweet he is that harry is like maybe i can move in with him like hagrid has done such a good job being hospitable to harry that within like a month of knowing hagrid harry's like i could probably move in with him he'd probably be fine with that casper who would you like to bless this week i want to bless neville You know, this is another moment early on in the books where we see him really struggle, not just with what's happened to him, but the whole social dynamics surrounding what's happening. I'm just so enamored by his resilience, the way in which he makes it through and comes back stronger and more compassionate and braver. You know, I I, I don't want to see suffering as somehow instructive or redemptive in an easy way, but there is something remarkable about Neville that I want to, I want to hold on to in the moments when, uh, when, when there are meme commenters <laughs> on an article and just be like, what would Neville do? So a blessing for Neville for being so resilient. So next week, we're going to be reading chapter 10, Halloween. Matt, do you want to talk about hatred? No. I think I would like to talk about protection protection we've been talking about like what does it mean to defend but also we have fluffy on top of her trap trap door at the end of this chapter protecting something i think maybe what the lingering kind of the lingering topic from our discussion today is protection what is it what does it look like how to do it well i think that's great you've been listening to harry potter and the sacred text the whole crew the band is back together. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find listeners who are discussing the episode in the Facebook common room and join our local groups. And come join the community of people who are supporting us on Patreon. Casper will be joining us for our perk this week. You can leave us a review on iTunes and send us a voicemail with a blessing. We love getting them. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producers, the great and good Ariana Nettleman. We are edited by Juliana Bradley, and our engineer is Erica Wong. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Special thanks this week go to Casper Turkyle, our friend and the co-founder of this podcast. Casper, thank you so much for joining us. It was so great to be in conversation with you about these books again. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's always a joy to be with you both. Thanks this week also to Brittany, who sent in her really touching voicemail, to Molly Baxter, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Stephanie Balsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones lost to COVID this week. No critique of you is valid. You're perfect. Well, that is setting me up to a full standard, (laughs) which will only lead to takedowns in mainstream media. (laughs) (laughs) So it's my fault that this article got written. Correct. (laughs) Got it. My bad.